Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If I was Toto Wolf, I'd be saying, yeah, let's have an engine freeze. We've got the best one. We'll freeze that. It even um, makes Toto sense. Oh, dear. Oh, my Jesus. Jesus. Went there. Oh, no. <laughs> that would be the little intro for the show. Thank you, Matt. <laughs> it's lights out and away we go. Hello and welcome to the Cut to the Race podcast. Uh, with me today, we have Emma. How are you, Emma? I'm fine, thanks. Ready to go today. Good stuff. Kel, how are you? Yeah, I'm good. Cheers, mate. I'm good. I'm good. Let's go. Uh, Matt, how are you, sir? I am doing fantastic and ready to dive into this. And we also have a little guest on our panel today, um, Sam Hall from GP Fans. How are you, sir? Hello, cheers for having me. Yeah, I'm good, thanks. Um, yourself? Yeah, not bad, not bad, uh, apart from the cat eating through the Beats headphones just before we started, but uh, life does go on, uh, unfortunately not for the cat. Um, so I hope everyone uh, enjoyed uh, the, the last episode that we did on F1's biggest conspiracies. We had some great feedback and uh, we're, we're glad you enjoyed that. If there are any others you want us to cover in the future during the off season whilst we've got the time, let us know. We'll see what we can do. Um, but today, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about Aston Martin. But before we do, let's talk about the news. Cal, would you like to uh, give me a bit of spicy news, please, to start the show? Yeah. Yeah, let's go for it. I mean, today we, we actually put up an interesting article. Now, the caption is, Wolf wants Red Bull alive. And I, as soon as I saw this, I was like, well, what does that mean? Well, basically, due to um, the, the engine situation that uh, Red Bull are going through at the moment with Honda, there is a, a possible engine freeze that's going to happen. Now, that would mean Red Bull would continue in Formula One, and Toto Wolf wants to support that, which I think is, you know, pretty good. We need competition in the sport, and I'm glad the chief of the uh, the best team around is willing to do that. So that's quite refreshing to see. Let's be honest, without Red Bull in there, it kind of turns into, you know, America trying to play soccer in the World Cup. It just gets ugly really, really quickly. And you need that spice, that competitive edge. And that's what we all want to see. If we're building these regulations for 2022 for competition, and then we do away with the winning team's closest competition, that kind of defeats the purpose, I think. Is, is Toto not just getting involved in everyone's business at the moment? Nobody is touching that question. Yeah. I'm leaving that one away. <laughs> I'm leaving that there. I might ask you, Sam, what do you think on that? 
Uh, yeah, I mean, well, Mercedes, obviously, they've got the best engine. We know this, so it wouldn't be any surprise if Mercedes wanted an engine freeze. Um, I mean, they were up for it when Renault was suggesting it a couple of years ago. Um, oddly, Honda and Red Bull were the only ones who didn't want an engine freeze when Renault wanted it before. Um, so I think sort of Renault might play a few bits of politics in there and go, well, why would we do this when you didn't back us? Um but yeah, it makes total sense. If I was Toto Wolf, I'd be saying, yeah, let's have an engine freeze. We've got the best one. We'll freeze that. Exactly. Happy days, right? It even um, makes Toto sense. Oh, dear. Oh, my. Jeez, went there. Oh, no. <laughs> that would be the little intro for the show. Thank you, Matt, for uh, providing it early today. Um, okay, what else is happening in the news, Cal? We, we, we've got some firmed up dates, don't we, on the F1 calendar? I was just looking at that myself. Yeah, the schedule, um, the schedule actual calendar update was already there, but what they've done is actually changed the schedule around a little bit. So all of the races are now going to start on the hour instead of 10 past the hour. What difference that makes, I do not know. I mean, is it to do with um, the TV rights or something? I'm, I'm not sure. Um, but we actually had uh, Crofty tweeters regarding this. And he said, um, well, we basically asked him, you know, that we've already seen it. And uh, we said, is there anything that stands out to you that obviously he's looking forward to? And he, he actually said that he missed Austin and Mexico last year and then Monaco as well. And I was thinking, surely they're like three of the worst races you could have missed. I absolutely love Austin. I think it's Matt one of my favourite races and I really missed it last year. But you, you would love the glitz and glamour of Monaco, right? I mean, I'd miss that if that was a regular uh, place on my calendar. Yeah, he, he actually said the the uniqueness of Monaco, not not the racing. So that's fair cop. <laughs> I think everyone missed the qualifying in Monaco because everyone, I mean, if as qualifying sessions for the year go, Monaco, undisputed, it's the best. Far and away. And then the race, <sighs> the jury's out on that. Um, what I did notice was the, what was it, 5am start in uh, Japan again. And I missed that uh, in 2020, that getting up early, cracking your beer when you shouldn't be having a beer, right? I can attest to the uh, amazing tradition it is of getting slammered at about 6am on a Sunday being an American because, uh, you know, I missed you all having your comeuppance with Austin. And it's nice to see a little bit of a balance coming back out to where we have to test your dedication you have it too easy, you guys. You gotta want it. You gotta have that moment of clarity when you wake up in the morning and go, "Do I want to get up for this one?" It's and not a question breath, of do you? It's it's do you stay up or not? That's a valid question as well. And I think this is where that ten a.m. or ten minute on the hour start difference is going to come into effect. You know, when you wake up at two o'clock in the morning for the race for me in Japan. You have that 10-minute buffer to go, okay, get the pot of coffee going, you know, do the morning essentials, get your snacks, get your drinks. Now it's a mad scramble. If you wake up at 2 o'clock, you're late. So you better have better logistical planning the night before. Leave your snacks next to the couch or your chair where you're going to be watching the race and make sure you just have a cooler instead of relying on coffee in the morning. I envy those of you who don't have children because 10 minutes in the life of a parent means nothing. Getting up 10 minutes earlier means nothing. <laughs> 
it was all just a bit of a waste of time, really. Like, literally, it was, right, let's try and fill this time. And because Sky Sports have such long coverage anyway on the build-up, it's just an extra 10 minutes to fill, I, I thought, anyway. So I'm glad it's back on the hour because it makes sense uh, to me. Sam, I mean, it's not an exciting topic, is it? It was for the American audience, I think, um, but it's to make it more attractive to TV networks and the American audience um, so that the TV networks, instead of having the two hours build up, three hours, whatever Sky decides they're doing over here, the American networks could p- pick up the broadcast on the hour. I mean, Matt could wake up and then, uh, yeah, then we could watch the race. Um, but yeah, changing it back, I mean, it, it would just make a difference to the American audience, not so much the European audience. I think what it is is the American education system has failed our children so completely that they don't understand how to read an analog clock anymore. And that's why they're going back to the top of the hour. (laughs) We've got the schedule. What what races are we looking forward to? I, I for one, am really looking forward to Japan. I I just, it feels like forever since we were racing there. I can't wait for Brazil. Brazil's my favourite. I missed that last year so much. And I'm surprised no one else has really... I've not seen that much. No one else has really missed Brazil, but I think it's probably one of the best races on the calendar. Well, we had a bit of an uproar when they said that they were taking um, taking it off the calendar and moving it to... Sao Paulo. Yeah. Yeah, they were going to rip down a forest, weren't they, for a new track? <laughs> Idiots. Um, and now nobody cares that we're going back to Interlagos. We had all this uproar and the massive fan reaction about no 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 you have to stay there it's historical it's essential it's the smart move and then they announced they've done that and it's just crickets nobody is applauding that decision or even validating the uproar earlier in the year it just it seems like a missed moment for the fans actually having their voices heard and common sense finally triumphing at one point in time in this day and age it just seems a bit messy. One minute it's on, next minute it's not unsure. And it's just been a bit all over the place. But no, I, I'm with you there, Cal. I was actually re-watching some of the Brazil races when Max Verstappen was in the uh, wet. And oh man, you, there are some really good races in Brazil. So I, I second that. It's epic. There's always, it there's always drama. Love it. Um, what else is happening in the news? There was a bit of a, a statement from George Russell. And I'm, I'm not entirely sure when he made the statement. But he did say it was regarding him getting the drive, the drive in the Mercedes seat at the end of last season. And he basically, to cut a long story short, said he appreciated the, the praise coming from Hamilton. But he said he doesn't let it affect him because Lewis isn't going to make a difference to his career. Now, that doesn't sound like a lot on the surface, but a lot of people sort of read into that differently and thought that George was actually like going at Hamilton or trying to you know, slate him or knock him off the high pedestal he's on, basically. This is all that Hamilton still hasn't signed his damn contract. So everyone's just got to talk about something, don't they? And whether Russell's going to replace him. And Emma, I want to hear your view on this, because I know you have an opinion on this whole contract saga. And also George Russell's just getting brought into the mix now. It's, it's, it's not necessary. I think in regards to George's statement, he's very black and white. I don't, want to read anything into it I don't think we should read anything into it um, because he is such a nice guy and I don't think he'd start playing all these games so the tit for tat kind of thing I don't think I don't think he's that type of type of driver um, and in regards to Lewis's contract negotiations um, 
I do know that we we did put out um, a, a new story um, a couple of days ago that um, Eddie Jordan has come out and said that Lewis Hamilton's contract should be signed by the end of the week, meaning before the beginning of February. Um, now, he seems to, any sort of predictions he's made about Mercedes in the past seem to have actually come true. <laughs> so fingers crossed it does happen within the next few days, but I, Toto Wolff has said it's in the hands of the lawyers. So I think what they have done is I think they've agreed a term and I think they've agreed certain other details, but it's just taking a long time. I don't think at the moment it's got anything to do with is Lewis going to stay? Is he going to retire? And all that sort of thing. I think he is going to be racing at Mercedes this year. I just think it's in the hands of the lawyers and it's just taken a little bit longer than normal because it's quite a complex thing. What's your take on this, Sam, all, all this this contract saga? Because it's been going on for so long. It's it, it's dividing the internet. Half the internet is saying, hooray, Hamilton's not going to be here. Half the internet is saying, it's already a done deal. Um, but what do you take on it? Um, my gut feeling is Lewis is going to sign the deal. I don't think, to be honest, I don't think there's any question um about that at all um i actually contacted williams the other day um asking have they got a plan b um just in case lewis doesn't sign um and the answer was very very straightforward um george is one of our drivers he's not going anywhere um so i'd be amazed if lewis doesn't sign i think I don't know what the holdup is. I mean, everyone will say that it's money, but at the end of the day, no one really knows. And Mercedes aren't going to come out. Lewis isn't going to come out and say, this is what it was. We'll never find out. Um, it might be the length of the deal as well. I mean, Lewis might want four or five years and Mercedes going, well, for an F1 driver, you're getting on a bit. So we'll, we only want you for two or three. Um, bottom line is I think he'll sign and I think George will end up there in a year or two. And and do you think he's going to take Bottas's seat? I would be amazed if it wasn't Bottas's seat that um, Russell <laughs> yeah. took. Yeah. I mean, it, it's logical, isn't it? I mean, mm -hmm. if you've got the next driver coming through, you put them alongside statistically the greatest driver ever. I still favour Schumacher, but that's a whole debate we can get into. Oh, um, but yeah, I mean, statistically, Lewis is the greatest and who better to learn from? Um so, yeah, I, I would 100% put Russell and Lewis together next year. Matt? I think when we delve into that statement about George Russell stating that Lewis Hamilton will not have an effect on his career, we have to remember that George Russell is 22 years old, and as Sam mentioned and touched on, that Lewis Hamilton is 36. If we imagine George Russell staying in this career and this trajectory he's on for as long as Lewis Hamilton Lewis Hamilton would be the role of Eddie Jordan, you know, the borderline crazed madman on the side shouting obscenities from the paddock by the time George Russell is 36. Uh, I love it's, that. It's not going to impede him in any way. There will come a day to where Lewis Hamilton finally hangs it up, and that natural ascendancy of George Russell into that role would be normal. Uh, and we have to remember that there are the key players of – George Russell is under Total Wolf's tutelage. You know, there are multiple levels, planning and strategies going forward. So is Lewis Hamilton looking at, as Sam said, the longevity? Could it be the percentage of the TV rights has been brought up? You know, we don't know. And at the end of the day, we don't need to know. You're not going to just lose 
the greatest driver of all time with no fanfare. We know it's almost a done deal. And I find myself firmly in the get on with it camp uh, for all of this. So we'll just see how it shakes out. But in the end, I think George Russell's statement's valid. And just be prepared. You're going to see more of number 44 this year. And you're also going to see Lewis Hamilton as Eddie Jordan in the future. Um, that is uh, Matt's prediction. Um, I really hope not. Uh, what do you make on this, Cal? Yeah, I agree with Matt. It'd be, it'd be pretty cool to see Lewis as the Eddie Jordan figure just being crazy. I can't picture it now, but it'd be funny to see, wouldn't it? There's, there's actually a little bit of sad news that came out this week as well that we definitely need to mention, and that is uh, former F1 driver Adrian Campos has died at the age of 60. Um, you know, uh, I think the funeral was held at Campos Racing as well, wasn't it? And it was quite a nice, secluded little setup there with just family and friends. So, that, that, you know, just wanted to give a nod to him on the podcast. For sure. And it's a, it's a big loss to the racing community. Um, I think we all agree with you there, Cal. Um, Emma, you wrote a piece. This isn't necessarily news, but you wrote a piece on Alonso this week, which interested me. And I wanted to just have a little chat about this. Um and I wanted to pick Sam's brains on this. So I'm going to let you two battle this out. But Emma, do you want to just just summarise your article, and then uh, I'm going to I'm going to just throw it over to Sam to come back at you. Well, <clears throat> my article was about why Alonso is returning to Formula One, and it's it's discussions that we've had in the past on various different podcasts and we've spoke about Alonso and we've always said, you know, is he going to come back? But should he really come back to Formula One? My opinion is I really don't think he should because I just think that, yes, he is a great driver. He's worthy of his world championships, definitely. I just think that it's just not the right time for him. Like, I just think he's had his day. I'm going to put it bluntly. I honestly think he's just had enough. And I think him coming back to the sport will just prove to a lot of people that he is a bit overrated. That's my opinion. Um, I, I, yeah, I just have a concern that him coming back into the sport and certainly coming back into um, Alpine F1, who last year, obviously, were Renault, midfield team but it could be a sort of tarnish to his legacy almost if he returns to to formula one but i'm quite keen to get sam's thoughts on this actually i've just made a few notes along here um first it's alpine not alpine um we'll get that one out um And don't blame it on the Scottish accent. That that's not this. Um, but... okay, I'll take that one. I'll take that. One. <laughs> Sam, I like you. You're putting Emma in her place. I, I get a bit scared doing that. Uh, go on. Um, yeah, but um, so you essentially think that it's going to be like when Schumacher came back. Sort of, it wasn't the same. He wasn't. He he was older. Sort of, he'd lost that that two tenths that made him special. That's that's sort of how you see it. Yeah. Well, I know that Schumacher came back uh, with Mercedes, but. When Schumacher came back, it was almost as if he was there not to win races, not to win championships, but to help develop the car um, and to help develop the team because, you know, Mercedes were were coming back into Formula One and they were fairly new into the era that they were placed in. So I feel that Schumacher came back because of those reasons. But Alonso isn't coming back for those reasons. He's coming back to win races and to, well, potentially 
um, won more world championships, but I don't think he's been placed in the right team. But no top team will touch him. Well, yeah, I mean, the interesting thing is the timing of all this, because we've obviously got the new cars coming in, uh, not this coming year, but next year. And I think Alonso, if he can develop a car, which we know he's fairly good at, Renault or Alpine could have a really good car next year. Um, So I I think that you're going to see a lot of stability in driver lineups from this year to next year. Um, because if you've got completely different cars, why would you change your lineup as well? It'd be suicide. Um, but yeah, you said Alonso's overrated. Um, are you sure about that? I mean, the guy's won two <laughs> world titles. Ooh. I mean, <laughs> I saw I saw the tension rising as Emma said that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you saw the face that I pulled when she when she said Alonso's overrated. Um, this is the thing is Sam and I go back quite a few years. We've worked together previously, so Sam and I can debate these things quite openly. And when I say that Alonso about. is overrated, I sort of mean that. Yeah, I he does have two world championships under his belt, but I just think he's not as good as other drivers that are on the grid right now. For the listeners at home, Sam just cut the perfect Clarkson smug face. <laughs> it was delicious. <laughs> I just yeah. imagine this is your two's weekly pub debate, and I just oh, love it. I, it so easily could be. Um, I mean, I think I do tend to agree. Alonso, I don't think he will be the Alonso we saw 2005, 2006. I think every driver, no matter how good they are, they are going to lose that one or two tenths as they get older especially if they've stepped away from the sport. Um, yes, he's raced elsewhere, but elsewhere is not Formula One. Um, and in World Endurance Championship, he was racing in a class of one. Um, so it wasn't really hard for him. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I do, th- I kind of think, I, I'm, I'm in the middle. I, I want him to come back because I like Alonso and he's a character we need. But he's an older driver I would have rather seen Alpine go, well, Red Bull don't want Pierre Gasly. We'll have an all-French lineup with Esteban Ocon and Pierre Gasly. And to be honest, I think I could see that if Christian Lundgaard doesn't do what they expect um, in the next couple of years. I, I would be really happy if we have an all-French Alpine lineup. Um, I mean, it would be like when Mercedes came back and they had an all-German lineup. It, it was brilliant. Everyone loved it, even though they got rid of Jensen Button. And I wasn't happy about that because I'm a mega button fan. Um, but yeah, I can see Matt's nodding about a lot of these things. What do you think about this? I just, I'm so thrilled to meet somebody that is, uh, you know, counter Emma, like I so often find myself. Uh, I think the biggest point made uh, is talking about the development. I kind of treat, and I think some of the F1 teams will be treating 2021, especially the later half of the season, as almost an installation lap for 2022 on the research and development, getting a feel for the car and finding the tweaks and honing before the budget caps come into place and the wind tunnel restricted testing, etc. cetera. Uh, and I think you'd be hard pressed to find somebody with the calibrated bottom stealing from Nicky Lauda there that Fernando Alonso has. Uh, I don't really view it necessarily as a long-term goal with them having Alonso back. I think it's to get them to a higher standard of entry for 2022 and the regulation change than they otherwise find themselves. And I think that is also a sticking point to circle back around as I typically do uh, with the Lewis Hamilton talks, you know, if he's going to help develop that car 
he wants to reap some of the benefits. So there's that that short game versus long game going on here. And Alonso is the best decision for them in the short term to get the car where it needs to be for 2022. OK, we, we did. We just stumbled upon Button there. There's a bit of Button in the news, isn't there? What's he done now? What hasn't he done? Jesus, the guy's everywhere at the moment, isn't he? He's he's become a senior advisor at Williams, and then the the new um, Extreme E, which is what ele- electric off road racing, isn't it? From what I gather, mm-hmm. he has um, formed his own team in there to rival Rosberg and Hamilton. But unlike Rosberg and Hamilton, he will be driving the car himself. So the guy's literally going to be all over the globe this year. He's going to be a very, very, very busy man. He is. I mean, I, I, I don't know what I make of it. Is he an advisor to Williams or is he is he racing or is he running a team? Uh, Sam, what's Jensen going to be doing next year? You're the Button fan, you tell me. <laughs> oh, he's just going to be doing everything. I think Button's discovered since he left Formula 1. I mean, my favourite Jensen Button interview ever, hands down, Ted Kravitz in the notebook after the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix when Button was hammered. Just going, I don't care, but you're not an F1 driver anymore. Aren't you upset? No, I'm happier than ever. I mean, I think Button's, he's, he's discovered himself properly since leaving F1. And now we're seeing him do all these weird and wonderful championships. He's done a bit of endurance racing recently, British GT. And uh, yeah, I, I just love the idea of him doing these weird and wonderful championships like Extreme E. Um, I can't wait to see what he says he's doing next because it's going to be brilliant. I think the next thing he's going to be doing is changing diapers. Don't forget, he's also has a new baby that arrived this year. So where he's going to find time to build all of these teams, drive and be on diaper duty. Uh, I think the case can be made that Jensen Button is a borderline superhero at this point. We have relaunched our Formula Nerds store um, this week, and we have a little bit of a discount for you. Um Cal, you, you like your Formula Nerds merch, as our podcast listeners will know. You uh, tried on on the show live for us and everything. So do you want to tell us a bit about this merch? Yeah, first of all, that's that's a moment I thought I'd like to forget. Thanks for that. Um, Never. Never. But yeah, 20, 20% off, guys. Let, let's get on it. Till Sunday night. So the date today is the 30th of January. So the 31st of January, if you're listening after that, the code will be gone. So make sure you get your discount in on sunday but we have hats hoodies t-shirts multiple designs on each there's even a little nerd's face mask in there as well for you phone cases there's there's loads of stuff to go and get and it all helps us um develop the podcast and the, the things we do further so it's a massive help and a massive contribution to us if you would like to go and get your discount please not sure who signed off that 20% discount, but it's not going to be supporting much, is it, with that, that generous discount? So, uh, yeah, get, get in there fast, because uh, we're, we're going to have to take that down pretty fast, OK? We're going to take a quick break, and on the other side, we're going to talk to you today about Aston Martin in F1 and the history. Don't go nowhere. Welcome back. We are going to talk about the new team in F1, which is Aston Martin. But are they are they really new? Um, Matt, tell me a bit about it. In the realm of F1, uh, they may as well be a new one. Uh, you know, 
Aston Martin's been around as a brand since the turn of the 20th century. Uh, most of their success comes from the early 1920s and doing other series like endurance racing and things of that nature. Uh, you know, of course, with the World War II interlude, almost everybody stopped racing. It took a while for them to get back in. Uh, where I think we're going to see, for me as the historical guy a little bit, kind of a returning to their roots, if you will, is they entered in 1959, but it took them two years to develop that car and actually get it on track. And, you know, they were very, very successful in sports car racing at the time, so they thought that that dominance would transfer over. So they entered the 59 season with uh, two drivers, one you may have heard of. I've lost the correct link because I'm an idiot. Bear with me, rambling. Uh, Roy Salvadori <laughs> and Carroll Shelby. Uh, they only actually entered five races, had zero wins, zero poles, zero uh, leading laps because that car, by the time it got to track, was so underpowered, underdeveloped, and behind the times, they had no chance at all. I'm not saying it's going to happen to the current iteration, but there may be some growing pains when you don't have a Mercedes team to copy-paste from. Uh, so it's not so much a new team. They have been involved, but we're, in essence, starting over from scratch with them. Okay, um, but they have taken over a certain premises. They 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 have they are the same people as a as a team that were existing before. Um, it, Cal, we found something funny on Facebook, which was the, the 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 Facebook page history and all the name changes that they've done over the last ten years. I think it, it changes at least twice a year. The name of this team. Um, who wants to give me a breakdown on the journey? I can, I can throw that in there. I mean, it started off as actually the Jordan Grand Prix team uh, in 1991, and it was based at Silverstone, so that's the very same factory that um, is there now. Uh, it then got bought out by, I believe, Midland F1 Racing in 2006. It then went over to Spiker Cars. Now, after Spiker. that... Wow, that's a memory. Yeah, after that, it was bought out by the, the more popularly known Force India. Um, and they were there from 2008, I believe. I think the purchase happened in 07, but they didn't race as Force India until 08. Uh, and then they went on until we saw Racing Point in 2019. Was it? Halfway through 2018. That's it. Yeah. Azerbaijan, I think it was. Yeah. So the. The purchase happened from Force India to Racing Point halfway through 2018. They but then became Racing Point Force India. Now, in 2019, they could became just Racing Point. And then, obviously, now, going into 2021, they are becoming Aston Martin. Wow, that's a lot of changes. My head hurts. But they've, they've essentially got a pre-built team, right? So... What difference is it going to make having the Aston Martin name there? Um, Sam, I'm going to ask you this. Uh, money. That, that's the long and short of it, let's be honest. Um, they, they've got, while they've not got specific manufacturer backing, I don't think, it's the brand and the money that's associated with the brand. Um, and obviously they've got Sebastian Vettel on board. Everyone will have their own opinion over whether that's a good move or not. Personally, yeah, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting choice. Uh, let's put it that way. Um, I would have kept Checo, but they do what they do, and you're not going to say 
to say to your son, here, you can't have a drive anymore. Um, uh, yeah, Aston Martin's in a good position to build on this year. If they don't come, if they aren't battling McLaren at the very least this year, something's gone horrendously wrong. Yeah, because they, they've been quite, they were fierce last year, weren't they? And now they've got this additional layer on top. I mean, uh, Matt, you, you are the, I think our listeners know, the Sebastian Vettel fan here. And, and he's lit up, we've forgotten to mention, he's lit up the internet this week um, <laughs> for possibly the wrong reasons um, when he entered his uh, Aston Martin car. Yeah, I think they forgot to use some cover up there. And I would like to be the first to welcome Sebastian Vettel to the Brotherhood of Bald, the fraternity of flop sweat. Uh, you know, I feel for the guy. And I think we as the nerds definitely caught a lot of flack by covering that and having so uh, lighthearted a take on it. But <laughs> the people that are mad about it, I think just need to sit back and realize the man's been wearing a racing helmet <laughs> continuously for the last 20 years going back into karting, etc. It's going to happen. People forget about Lewis Hamilton. I don't think it's a big deal. Doesn't deserve an uproar. It's good for a laugh, especially with the Duke of Cambridge comparison. Yeah, I'm calling you out on that one, Callum. I saw that. But uh <laughs> it was me. <laughs> but I do think the biggest thing, like Sam said, is the money they're coming in. There's also a pedigree with Aston Martin. You know, they do other series. They do Le Mans, they do GT4, they have a bunch of different racing intelligent people on that staff and not only do they have almost unlimited control with Lawrence Stroll pulling the strings there but there is a talent pool that they can pull from a lot of that technological development may not directly cross over to F1 but understanding how to make a homogenous platform make everything work together to develop a winning formula the know-how is there and it's also going to be a great revitalization of the brand and bringing it back into the public consciousness. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's an interesting take, isn't it? Having Sebastian Vettel, a full-time world champion who let's face it, didn't do all that well at Ferrari considering. No. And, you know, it's a, it's a big risk. I feel for Lawrence Stroll to get him into the team when you've got a, a a guy like Checo performing regularly and consistently, you know, he, he was doing really well. There was no need to get rid of him. Red Bull have had a steal there. Keeping Lance Stroll as well, like, stupid. Absolutely stupid. Like, if he was my son and he was performing the way he has, I'd, I would genuinely send him back to karting. Like, it, he's not good enough, is he? He's, we are playing this whenever you have a child, Callum. I promise you that. <laughs> God. <laughs> But yeah, that, that's my feel on it. They, they should have had the opportunity to have Checo and Vettel in the same team. Now, if you had the opportunity, why not take it? Why keep Lance Stroll in the team? That, that's my take on that. Well, my we know point why. I'm going to give to you, Cal, with you being such a, a big Verstappen fan, would you rather Checo partner Vettel or do you think the Verstappen and Perez partnership is going to work better? I mean, from a Red Bull fan's point of view, yeah, it's brilliant for me. I'm just talking as a, say, if you're a Racing Point fan or an Aston Martin fan, it, you would rather Checo and uh, Vettel partnering up rather than Stroll and Vettel partnering up, 100%. Like if, you, if, you, if you're not agreeing with that, then I think you're a bit deluded, to be honest. Well, let's ask Sam. Uh, what's your opinion on Stroll? Um, if you had have asked me at the sort of halfway mark of last season, I would have said, actually, 
Lancer started to come into his own and could be he's worth keeping hold of because he was I think he was third in the championship no he was fourth he was just behind um Lewis Valtteri and Max and uh yeah then he had COVID and um yeah he, he had his crash in Mizano and uh, not Mizano I always get on it's Mugello uh he had his crash, crash at Mugello and he was never the same driver afterwards so I think it's a gamble keeping him this year. Perez was definitely the safer bet. But if you're looking for the future, as we were saying about Alonso, Checo and Checo's not got that long left in F1. Um, so are you building for the future or are you racing for now? I think Aston Martin are building for the future and um, they need a younger driver because where are they going to turn now? They've got Vettel in the next seat. He's not a young driver. He's not the future. Who are they? They haven't got a young driver program. Where are they going to get these young drivers from to get them forwards in the next five, six years? I'm a bit intrigued why they chose this year to come into it. Why wouldn't you wait to next year? Do we know? I think it was already a done deal. Um, I think it was already a done deal before they pushed back the the regulation changes. A bit like um, McLaren changing engines to Mercedes from Renault. So really, that that's that that's actually worked against them in that sense, where they thought they were coming in for the new regs and they're not. Okay, all right. Um, does anyone think Vettel's going to win any races in the Aston Martin? Apart from Matt? No. No. Not even a podium. Oh, ho, ho. Ooh. Ooh. I Spicy. Hope there is podium contention. However, uh, we have to look at the record. You know, Seb had one podium last year and it was gifted to him by Charles Leclerc's mistake. Not to say that Seb's not the driver he used to be, but as a Seb man in this current day and age, new car, and it's going to be a rewiring of his brain to recognize that he is not going to be battling for the championship, battling for the win. He's battling for midfield points. And even though he got a very, very solid dose of that last year, with Ferrari, I was about to say, yeah. that was not the uh, expectation going into the year. Uh, so I think that's going to be a mindset shift. <laughs> For him, and I think he will rise to the occasion, but I think we have to be realistic on all the changes he is undergoing and the changes that Aston Martin will be undergoing. It's not realistic. I'm interested what you think about this, Matt. Would Vettel have landed the Aston Martin drive if he wasn't still banking on his championship success of, let's be honest, a decade ago? Not one bit. Uh, because if you look at the body of work within Ferrari, yes, there were times that Ferrari's foibles played into him not being more successful, but there's a reason Spinalia memes exist. There's a reason he was so mentally unstable there, which could be the internal pressures from Ferrari. But if you take away the Red Bull years, all the success, the records, the dominance, the brilliant displays of showmanship, everything, and look at just the body of work in Ferrari, as a Tafosi the overall arching statement comes down to nostalgia and disappointment. And that's coming from one of his most staunch supporters. Uh, Checo was the right call, and Checo had ingratiated himself more with that team because he's the reason they still exist, full stop. And I've said that before. So you take away the Red Bull years, nah, Seb wouldn't be there. Who do we think? They're going to be going neck and neck at it. So we, we, we've spoken a bit about Stroll. I know that he doesn't have many fans. Um, he does have some, but he doesn't have many. Um, never on this podcast. Well, no, Emma, no. you are sporting Racing Point colors right now. Have you swapped no, your league? this is Fuchsia. This is Fuchsia. 
Pink. <laughs> Not late pink, darling. <laughs> Do we think Vettel's going to outclass Stroll? Yes. I'm genuinely not sure. I'm so not sure. I think Vettel has gone down that much that it's going to be... I, I'm genuinely interested, not to see who does better, but to see who does worse, to be honest. Um, <laughs> that's, that's Sam's like metric that for Aston Martin. <laughs> I love so, it. I, Aston Martin, I want them to do well. I love the name. Who doesn't want to see an Aston Martin going up against Mercedes? Going up against Ferrari, just at the front. I mean, three iconic manufacturers. You've got Red Bull, but they're not a manuf- a car manufacturer. Um, I just want these iconic brands at the front. And so I love McLaren. Have McLaren up there as well. But, I mean, I don't think they've got it right in the drivers, and I think that's going to cost them so badly. If they're behind Alpine next year, if they're fifth or worse in the constructors, and this is as well, kept forgetting that Ferrari are going to come back with something. So really, you've got sort of seven teams that could be fighting for the top four places. Um, I mean, AlphaTauri might do something, but I think the only teams not in the fight for third to seventh or third to eighth, I think, you've got Mercedes and Red Bull. They'll be one, two. I'd be amazed if they're not. And then Haas, Williams and Alfa Romeo will be the bottom three teams. Everyone else will be fighting it out and could be the third best. I think there'll be a top three teams this time. Uh, you know, with McLaren in that Mercedes engine, if they get it right, they've always been good on the chassis front and the aero front. So if they have that power to back it up, they're going to be, you know, fighting with Red Bull. Uh, you know, unless Mercedes completely take their eye off the ball 100% off the ball they're you know they, they've won haven't they let's face it but you know McLaren could well finish second if they get it right Ooh, ooh, uh, Matt I think my biggest uh, focus for this year for me is going to be seeing the change in driver staffing philosophies uh, we had discussed in this podcast last year that you need to have that solid one-two punch for the constructors the constructors are now becoming more of a focal point, I feel, in that the drivers, it, there is prize money there, there is prestige, there is the ha-ha, beat you going on. However, with the constructors, that's a more difficult championship to reel in. So you see teams like Red Bull stacking a heavy one-two with Max Verstappen and Checo. You see Ferrari trying to stack a heavy one-two with Charles Leclerc and Carlos Sainz, McLaren, Alpine, they're trying to elevate the overall standard of their driver lineups. And then at the other end of the spectrum, I understand why Haas has done what they've done with uh, Schumacher and Voldemort, but (laughs) with Aston Martin, it's almost like they're trying to operate under a budget that includes Lance Stroll, and they have, okay, we're paying, I'm paying my son $2 million or whatever it is to drive this year. I've got $37 million left over. Who costs $37 million? And that's kind of how they put it together rather than focusing on who is the best they can get for that money. Okay. It's an interesting point. Let's let's just finish today on who is the killer driver lineup next year? Who who has nailed that driver lineup? Now, let's just forget about Mercedes, right? Just just let's pull them out of this because Bottas is um not on the same wavelength as Hamilton. Cal. Verstappen and Checo at Red Bull. If 
Checo, you know, migrates into that car nicely and gets to grips with it quite quickly. That is a severely overpowered lineup right there. That's on paper, in my head, better than, you know, Hamilton Bottas as a team. Not individually as a team, I would say that's better than Hamilton and Bottas. If they get the car to back them up, they're going to be very dangerous next season. You're forgetting that Perez is in, is going into the cursed seat, though. Um, we have to see how he handles that. Uh, Sam, who's your who's your killer lineup? Who do you think nailed it this year? I think three teams have, and one of them is Red Bull. I agree with Cal on that. I think. If Perez can get his hand his head around that car and it is proven not to just be a car that only Max can drive, I think Red Bull will be very, very strong. And possibly, depending on how poor Bottas is this year, could in the constructors' championship challenge Mercedes. But I think the best lineup is Ferrari. I think Leclerc and Carlos Sainz, I think that's a very, very good young young lineup. Um, especially looking forward to 2022 with the new cars, they could be, if this is just a learning year, even if the car's slightly better than last year, I'm excited to see what them two can do. The other one's McLaren that I'm interested in, but Ferrari for me is the best of the bunch. Has anyone noticed a bit of a bromance going on here between um, Matt and Sam, by the way, or is it just me? I just like having somebody on my side for once. But it's purely coincidental. <laughs> not intentional whatsoever. I'll say how, much, how much did you pay him, Matt? Uh, I paid the fifth. Oh, the, the, the check <laughs> hasn't arrived yet. Um, I, should I didn't that. do next day shipping, yeah. Sam. That's my fault. <laughs> Retract your statement, Matt. Uh, as Sam was giving his points, I was sitting here trying to think of, do I say Ferrari or McLaren? Sorry, in your red Ferrari jacket that you're currently wearing. Well, we're getting there because I have made my decision. And to answer this question, I think I only have to be fair and remove said jacket and say, I think it's McLaren. And that... Good God. If we're talking the best overall pairing, Daniel Ricciardo, I'm not very familiar with his developmental strengths and his technological understanding, I guess the way I'll phrase that. However, for the most balanced, best on-track pairing, and best longevity and success for the future, because in the end of the day, how much clout do Leclerc and Sainz wield at Ferrari? You know, Ferrari has been proved to be staunch that it's Ferrari's way or the highway, that very little changes unless it comes down from the top. Whereas the culture that has been cultivated say that three times fast, at McLaren, is whoever is the best idea or whatever is best for the team is what gets done. And tip of the hat to Zach Brown for that. He has resurrected that team and done wonders. I think they've got it right. They have the quote-unquote popular vote with the bromance that will be brewing there, hopefully, much like mine and Sam's. Uh, (laughs) They also have the, you have the youth appeal with Lando Norris. He, He has done so much for bringing F1 into the public eye during the offseason. Daniel Ricciardo gets the uh, the women vote, I guess Emma, we'll put Emma's it that vote. way. Yep. Yeah, Emma's vote, most importantly. <laughs> I think they have it right. It's it's all the factors considered. Everything coalesces into what could be mega success for McLaren. Now, watch them turn around, prove me wrong, and not do anything this year, and I will we'll just chalk it up to me being an American and ignorant. But I think they have it uh, 
the most accurate lineup. I, th- I think you've just killed em- what Emma was going to say. But Emma, who do you think is the lineup for next year? He's put his Ferrari jacket back on, by the way. He has. And I think because I'm going to say Ferrari. Because I, I, yeah, I know Matt's face is like, oh my God, <laughs> what has she just said? I am a big Daniel Ricciardo fan. Everyone that listens to this podcast knows I am. I think the lineup at McLaren is fantastic, especially, as Matt says, for the longevity of Formula One and for the regulation changes coming in. But I think the team lineup that's going to have the biggest effect and the biggest improvement on the team is definitely Ferrari. A Leclerc and a Sainz pairing for the regulation changes, providing that Ferrari can pull it out the bag and become more and more competitive, that is going to be a team that everyone has to beat. Oh, okay. Interesting. In, I wasn't expecting a few of those things to be said, I've got to tell you. That, uh, that, that was a live recording for you there. Matt took off his Ferrari jacket. Emma, Emma talked about Ferrari. It's just unbelievable. This. But okay, I think, I think the, the pairing that we haven't spoken about is, is the Mercedes pairing. It's just boring, isn't it? What do you think about the two Mercedes, Sam? Um, I would argue that Mercedes as a team lineup with a number one and number two, even though they'll claim till the cows come home that it's two number one drivers, I think that's the best team organisation. I think Red Bull, Perez will not accept a number two driver, uh, a number two driver role, and he's only on a one-year deal, so what are they going to do to him if he doesn't accept it? Um, Ferrari, they've got two number one drivers. McLaren, two number one drivers. Alpine, is Alonso going to be a number one? We don't know what he's going to be like. Um, I think Mercedes is it's boring, like you say. And I it will they will win the championship. They will win the drivers and constructors. I'd be amazed if they don't. But it's just boring. And I would I so think George Russell deserves a seat there, and I don't think I'm alone in that. And it's it's almost where we started this podcast, but I would love more than anything to see Lewis and George in the Mercedes. I just, oh man, uh, two British drivers, two quality drivers having it out. And they're, they're at the complete different end of their careers. And I think, uh, you know, George did say he's not worried about Hamilton or whatever he said, but actually he's got a lot to learn from someone like that. Um, and I, I really would love to see it. And I think that would, that would be a nice way for Hamilton to leave, leave his legacy, wouldn't it? Um, are there any closing thoughts from you guys today? I think with the <laughs> reemergence of Alonso and F1, we have pointed out just how backwards at the initial start of the season Alpine is. All these other teams have two number one drivers, and I'm going to say it here and come after me, Internet, I don't care. Renault has two number two drivers. Uh, at the end of the day, I don't see either <laughs> of them elevating that team past last year's expectations. And... That may be a little bit harsh, but I have to speak truly. And I don't think that's going to be the right move going forward. Yes, he may help develop the car, but Alonso does not have the longevity to be there and continue to develop that car and program. And so once he departs, not if, once he departs, probably I'm going to guess after the 2022 season, when he realizes this isn't helping me, I go back to IndyCar or running my karting school or whatever he decides to do, then you're stuck with Esteban Ocon. And who do you put in that place? So rather than having a Callum Eilat or somebody in that seat to help push the future, now you're in a new regulation season with Esteban Ocon, your number one driver, going, uh, yeah, we missed a step. 
and especially losing Cyril Bittable, that's going to hurt Reno a lot more than people understand because he was such a master diplomat with that factory. I don't like him personally, but you can't knock his body of work. What you've got to remember as well is when Alonso comes into a team, he wants to make that team his own. It is all about him. And I wonder if Esteban Ocon is strong enough to put his foot down and say, no, I'm not playing to his fiddle, you know, and I'm not going to be a number two driver to to Alonso, who's been out of the game for two years. And why should he? Well, let us know what you think is the um, is the driver lineup for next year, and what you think about the Aston Martin team. We have a group on Facebook which is called "Cut to the Race Podcast." It, it's as simple as that. Just type it in and tell us how much you hate and disagree with what Matt said, or you agree with him. And you can also discuss the bromance that has developed on this show as well. It's 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 incredible. But Sam, thank you for uh, being on this show. It, it's it's been good to have you and your insight into this. Not a problem. Thanks for having me. Um, and we will be back same time, same place next week, I think. So um, here we go. Matt, thank you, sir. Thank you for having me. Thank you for putting a cross here on my back for the entire internet. Sam, I miss you already, and I hope you come back soon. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be back, I'm sure. <laughs> yes. Uh, did, did you want to reply to that, Sam, or are we just going to leave it there, yeah? Oh, I think it's better we leave it there, isn't it? <laughs> We'll keep it safe. (laughs) It's an emotional journey, this show, I tell you. Um, Emma, thank you very much. Thank you very much. I wasn't here last week and I missed it. So thanks for having me back in the chair. It's been a pleasure as always. And Sam, I just want to say thank you for coming on to our podcast and um, debating with me once again. It's, um, It's been good to do that. It has. I think I think we need you on a bit more often, to be honest. But uh, we'll check the diaries. Um, and Callum, uh, last but not least, thank you, sir. Yeah, thanks for having me, and thank you, Sam, for attending this lovely little podcast of ours. And um, don't forget the shop twenty percent off code Welcome Twenty. Get it in there before Sunday, the thirty first of January. Thank you very much, and goodbye. See you next week. Something's telling me to hurt myself Something's eating at me Sports Social Podcast Network